Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and I'm going to have a little divergence from our normal uh, discussion here uh, and uh, talk about lessons learned, we'll call this. So we may have a series of lessons learned. And my lessons learned here is going to be about a little product that was the company I worked for before I started working for the company I am uh, presently employed by. And I'm going on 20 years with this company, but I used to work uh, before that for a company here in Kansas City called Innovative Software. Uh, they got bought out subsequently by Informix, and that's a whole story which we may go into later in a lesson learned uh, if I decide to do this as a series. And the uh, primary product that, the, that Innovative Software had was a suite of products called Smart software. It was a spreadsheet, a word processor, and a database. And we may talk about that also at some point. But I specifically want to talk about a subsequent product that was written originally for the Macintosh called Wings. Now, Wings was an interesting product because someone who studied marketing can can fill me in on this. You should probably call in or submit a uh, you know a Hacker Public Radio episode in this regard, but a certain portion of marketing is finding that niche in the market that needs to be filled. Going out there, surveying the products that are available in the market, finding a place where you think there is a need and fulfilling that need. That is decidedly not the history of Wings as a product. Turn the Wayback Machine all the way back to 1984 and the Macintosh comes out. I remember seeing a, a the predecessor of the Macintosh, the Lisa, computer uh, down in Springfield, of all places, at a little computer store that used to be across from the Battlefield Mall. Uh, my aunt, on the, my maternal aunt, uh, lived in Springfield, and we would go there uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas times and things like that, visiting um, my grandmother and my aunt uh, down in South Missouri. And uh, so my cousin knew I was interested in that, and I found out about this computer store, and so one way or another we got over there and I saw Lisa. I just really didn't get it initially. Plus, it was really, really exorbitantly priced, even in the old, not quite inflated dollars uh, back then. But uh, the the Macintosh comes out, and a year later, at, at Comdex, uh, one of the guys who did the happened to be the spreadsheet programmer uh, was a guy named Joe, and I'll call him Joe because that's his name. I'm not going to change any names here to protect the innocent or the guilty, and. Uh, Joe went to Condex. Condex was the big show back then. This is all pre-World Wide Web, right? So the way you got the word out was you bought advertisements in printed media, and uh, and you showed your, your new product at Condex, and all the computer dealers found out about it, and then they picked it up and sold it in their stores. Condex was a big deal. I have a high school friend who actually went to every Condex, I guess, up until the time that they quit doing Condexes. 
Uh, Dan uh, went on to become an electronics engineer, electrical engineer and electronics and all that kind of stuff, which I probably would have if I hadn't taken a slightly different path due to uh, uh, randomness of how I was scheduled in the group that I was in when I went to my orientation at uh, the university. But that's another story. And Dan went to Comdex every year. I went to one Comdex uh, back in the day. Uh, They're in Las Vegas, and that used to be the big show in Las Vegas. Uh, this was way back before all of the expansion of Vegas in recent years. And so at Comdex, I guess they showed a preview of the Macintosh Plus. Now, it wasn't really coming out officially until Macworld the next year, uh, you know, in January, but there was a preview that happened at Comdex. And Joe came back all excited about developing software for the Mac Plus. He really got it. He thought it was great. It was going to be a great platform. And really, compared to the 128K Mac, which was you know, more limited, the Plus really did have, you know, well, it was, at the time, the big thing was the 3M, okay? This was a thing that the, the 3M kind of concept was something they actually came up with, I believe, at Carnegie Mellon. And they started pushing this as the kind of standard machine they wanted to have for their, their uh, students, okay? Now, the 3M was, to give you an idea of the limitations of design, the 3M was 3 million pixels resolution on the, uh, I mean, all right, sorry, 1 million uh, resolution pixels for your black and white display, 1 million uh, bytes of memory, right, a mega memory, and uh, what was the third? Oh, uh, a megahertz of processor speed, the 3M machine. And um, the Plus, you know, embodied that whole thing. And Joe was really excited about this. And he came back and talked to Mark, Mark being his best friend, who also happened to be uh, one of the co-founders of the company and the head of R&D. And Joe wanted to develop for the Macintosh. So we developed a spreadsheet for the Macintosh because that was what Joe coded. He wrote the spreadsheet. Now, at this particular time, a spreadsheet for the Macintosh was the stupidest possible product from a marketing perspective to come out with because Excel for the Macintosh was available and it's 99.9 percent of the market. I mean, it was a spreadsheet Excel. They were synonymous. You want a spreadsheet of the Macintosh? You buy Excel. I mean, there may have been a couple of other spreadsheets available, but they were nothing in the market compared to Excel. Stupidest possible product to come up with. But that's what Joe wrote, so that's what we did. He took the code base for our existing spreadsheet that ran under, uh, you know, win, um, not even Windows, but, but uh, DOS that was part of the smart software system and started recompiling that uh, onto the Macintosh. This involved, of course, Inside Macintosh, which was a collection of books. This was all pre-OS 10, right? Uh, Back in the day, you had to use Inside Macintosh to do everything on the Macintosh. And the joke was that to understand any given chapter of Inside Macintosh, you had to understand every other chapter first. Think about it. Uh, I still have a collection, I think, of the old Inside Macintosh. It's like five volumes initially and expanded through the years. I forget how many. If anybody's interested in that, you know, for nostalgic reasons, I think I had that still uh, somewhere. So the, uh, the Macintosh product we were going to come up with, the eventual name for this was Wings. And we had another guy named Larry who was a programmer. Uh, he was actually trained as a mechanical engineer, but like many engineering students, uh, got involved with computers in school and really liked that. So he was making his, 
living as a programmer, and somewhere along the line, Larry come, came on board at Innovative, and he was a graphics genius. He was the one who could take these spreadsheet numbers and make them look beautiful, make them presentationalized, graphically represent those numbers. And so Joe and Larry basically were working on this product. Now, along the lines of the development of this product, it was really just Joe and Larry and two other people that got added to the team. And so there was four people, really, that developed this product. And about a year, so this is all, you know, 85 or so, right, when the Plus came out, a year later at either Convex or I think it was probably Macworld a year later. So now it's 86. Another guy who was our marketing genius who really had a penchant for having brilliant ideas for presenting in, you know, two-page ads in magazines, which is how you got word out about your product and got interest, right, for your World Wide Web. Doug had come up with a series of really brilliant kinds of things. So Doug came up with this idea. We were going to have the Wings time capsule, the Wings time machine. We were going to show you the future of spreadsheets on the Macintosh. And it was really a brilliant idea because, I mean, we had this building. I mean, we had this small thing. It was like an amusement park thing. You, you came in the entrance and you went out the exit. And inside you saw this video. He hired Leonard Nimoy to be the person who was going to show you the future of spreadsheets with wings, right? He hired Slitter Demoy to be the on in the video, not just voiceover. I mean, he appeared in the video. I mean, Doug wanted to meet Leonard Demoy, and he got to in the studio, but still, I mean, it was brilliant. And there were people, I mean, we had booth girls, right, that were in these silver jumpsuits, you know, from the future, and they would let you in like it was an amusement park kind of a thing, you know, and and then you'd go in, and there was there was smoke, literally, <laughs> no mirrors, but literally, like, smoke and stuff, and, and, and then Leonard Nimoy showed you the video of the future, and then as you left, there were more booth girls in, in silver jumpsuits that would hand you out a wings bag. It was a little shoulder bag, like a messenger bag, right, that had wings logo on the side and all this. There was a whole collection of wings bags because eventually it was a successful product and it came out in various flavors, right? It came out not only for the Macintosh, but for Windows, and for OS2, and each one of these had a different color. And there are different color schemes, you know, different combinations. I think I have a complete collection of all the wings bags, of all the different color combinations, all the operating systems and everything. Eventually, Chaos Manor, which was a column written by Jerry Purnell, a science fiction writer of much renown, and you should write, read some Niven and Purnell and some Purnell books if you're interested in hard science fiction uh, during some of its heydays back there in the 70s and 80s. But uh, Jerry wrote the, the Chaos Banner column in Byte Magazine, which was the premier magazine, cross-platform magazine of the day. And uh, he actually awarded the Wings Bag as the laptop accessory of the year one year. He didn't know anything about the product, but it was the best possible thing to carry your laptop around in. <laughs> What's the Wings Bag? I mean, we gave out hundreds of these things at every show. And we did that. We had the time capsule machine at every single computer show for a year, a solid year of total vaporware, but getting people excited about it, right? And then finally, after two years of development, the Wings product came out, and it was a success. I mean, we managed to 
99 and 44 100%. I mean, Excel was it. Right? It was a stupid product to come out with, but we got upwards of 15% or more of the marketplace in the Macintosh for the Wings product. And it was a fantastic product. I mean, the number crunching was great. Larry's graphics were superlative. Eventually, a couple of other people I knew, a lady who I worked for who was in development and her husband at the time who was kind of the, you know, implementation guy, you know, who worked on uh, implementing at customer sites and using our software customer sites. Over a weekend, they wrote a data transfer kind of a thing where you could take data from databases, various databases at the, you know, available at the time, and pull them into wings and then graph it and number crunch and all this kind of stuff. And it was great. That is actually what caused the the whole Informix deal to come into play is that got the, you know, Informix databases were one of the ones that this data transfer, this data product connected to of the various databases available at the time. And this data link product was what got their attention and caused the whole, you know, thing of the, the merger, quote unquote, which we'll talk about later because it wasn't really a merger, uh, with uh, Informix and, and when that all took place. So what are the lessons learned here? Sometimes what the people in marketing will tell you, oh, don't come out with this because there's no chance, you've got to ignore that because passion, passion and taking that passion and you have to deliver with a product, right? That is what makes an insanely great product, which was a term that Steve Jobs used back uh, in the day and is also... Uh, a term that Guy Kawasaki, a software evangelist for Apple. Think about that. They had software evangelists back in the day. And an insanely great product comes from passion and turning that passion into delivery of a great product. Okay? And the second lesson learned is a truly insanely great product. I believe this to the core of my being, and it's true to this day, a team of six people is optimal for an insanely great product. Maybe upwards of ten. If you're really good at managing things, you can keep focus with a dozen people on the project. But more than that, and you lose that focus that leads to an insanely great product. And I think that that is true to this day, and I think that Somewhat that is reflected in open source because if you look at the open source projects, there's a core of people that are really where everything is happening and then they can coordinate with other people and have them help them. But there's always a core for the really great products. That's a small core. And that's what results. So that was my lessons learned. Sometimes the marketing guys are wrong when they say, oh, there's no chance of making it with this. And insanely great products come from small groups of people. You've got to find the right group of six people, right? So that was my lessons learned number one, and we may have more of these. And uh, that's all for today. We'll talk to you later. Bye now.
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.